You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. I am so glad you guys are here with us. Would you, uh, as we do every week, would you rise for the reading of the word? This is from Psalm 103 of David. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as if our sins, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant. And remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Thanks. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Franklin. I really appreciate um, you reading those words for me. Um, For those of you who haven't met me, my name's Alice Collins, and I serve here on the Midtown staff as uh, the Director of Connection and Assimilation, and that just means I really like people. Um, So if you are new, um, I can't wait to get a chance to meet you and get to know a little bit more about you. Um, Today, we're going to take a look at Psalm 103, and when Jake asked me if I'd be willing to teach one of these psalms during spring break, um, I got to choose. And so I chose Psalm 103 because Psalm 103 talks about Um, the thing that I most love in all of life, and that is that God loves us in just crazy and amazing ways, and that's what this psalm is about. As a matter of fact, um, well, let me me just tell you a couple things up front. If you are new here, we're super glad that you're here, and wherever you are on the continuum of your spiritual path, you are welcome here, and we hope you felt warmly greeted when you got here. We hope you feel welcome and at home. Um, because this is a great place for you. Um, I want everybody here to know that the most amazing truth that I ever discovered and lived out and believed to the core and fiber of my being is that God loves me. Me. 
And the thing that's equally true is that he loves you in the same way he loves me, unreservedly, unabashedly, extravagantly, he loves me and he loves you. Um, John 4.10 says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. David, who's the writer of Psalm 103, um, is praising God because of this great love that he has for David and for the nation of Israel. And we'll walk through that. But we can tell from the writing of this song, we don't get um, a lot of uh, preamble about what was going on in David's life at that point. But what we can tell from the text is that David had walked with God for a long period of time and he knew God because he calls his soul to reflect, to look at the things that God did for him. And by the end of the psalm, he's calling for all creation to join him in his praise of God. All of creation. Look at verse 19 through 22 with me. It says, The Lord established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all you heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all the works of his hands, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So what causes David to cry out to the entire universe to join him in praising God. And I suggest that based on the context of the psalm, it's the great work and the great deeds and the great love that God has for mankind. And see, remembering is critical. Like, remembering is super important. And this Hebrew word for forget not is not simply just kind of I, something slipped my mind, like I forgot lunch with my friend or I forgot somebody's birthday. It's not just kind of the slipping of, of the mind, like happens to me all the time. The older I get, the more things slip my mind. But it's, it more really is this idea of not dwelling on something or not continuously and continuing to think about something. And so um, here's the truth, at least for me. Like, the things that I have memories about, they direct my actions. Like, so for example, this is a super simple example. Um, my family loves to take road trips, like loves it. We go on lots of long road trips. Cliff was the one who would get up at O dark 30 and he'd drive the early shift and I'd sleep. But I took the late shift because I love to drive at night. The kids were asleep, he was asleep. It was just nice and quiet and I could think. I, that didn't that wasn't supposed to be a joke, but, um, but it was one of my favorite times until I hit a deer. I like deer. I don't know about you, but I like deer, and it was really traumatic for me to hit this deer. And never again, I want you to know, never again have I driven a night shift on a road trip, ever. As a matter of fact, I don't even really like driving across town in the dark. Like, it affected me. And... Um, the truth is that it's normally those negative things that stick in our minds. And most of the things we remember, that, that's kind of an easy thing, but most of the things that we remember that direct our thinking and the way we behave, 
are the critical things that people say to us or uh, the bad things that happen to us, the evil, wicked things that other people perpetrated against us or that we perpetrated against other people. Those things seem to transfix our minds. So why is that? Like, it's not like nobody said to me, Alice, you're awesome. Like, I love you. Like, it's not like people haven't said those things to me. They have. They've said it to you too. It's not like I haven't had great things happen to me. Like, I've been in neat places with wonderful people and enjoyed fabulous experiences. Why, are those the th why don't those things stick in my mind? And I'd suggest that it's because in some way, sin damaged our hearts. And our hearts are damaged in such a way that we tend to hold on to those things that are negative. The bad things somebody said to me. When somebody said to me, you're stupid. Like, why are you such an idiot? Or how don't you, under why is it that you don't understand that? I would hang on to that. And so the dialogue that goes in my head talks about that. So Alice, how come you can't get this? How come you can't succeed at doing this? How come, why? That's my dialogue. I don't know if it's yours, but I talk to a lot of people and it seems like it's your dialogue too. So, as a result of um, hanging on to those things, that shapes our life. It causes us to act in certain ways. And so what David does here, calling his soul to remember, it's super important. It's extremely important to forget not the benefits of our relationship with God. Because our, those truths don't stick with us, we continue to go along those lines. We forget them. But when we do remember them, when we make them central to our consciousness, it changes everything. It changes the way we behave. It changes the way we think. It changes every way, everything. So what is it that David's calling us to remember? Starting in verse 1, he says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives our sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who, sat, who crowns you with love and compassion and who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Now, lest we think that David somehow deserved God's love or had earned God's favor, let's remember who exactly David is. So David was an adulterer, and he was a murderer, and he was a liar and a cheat. David did not deserve God's love, yet God chose to set his love on David. And David's telling himself, remember that, because I've got to believe that David had the same bad self-talk in his head that I have in mine and that you likely have in yours. One of the things I find most amazing about the Bible is that God never whitewashes his people. Like, so when we look at David, or when we look at Adam and Eve, or when we look at Peter, or Paul, or Rahab, or any of the people that God gives us a story about in the Bible, we not only see the ways that they follow God, and they obey God, and they do great things, we also see the monumental screw-ups that happen in their lives. 
He doesn't present them as perfect people, and that's why he loves them. And I think that's because he wants us to see that people that he loves are flawed. I'm flawed. We're all flawed. We all mess up. So David's talking to himself saying, hey, remember this, because all of the other stuff is true as well. Remember this. And the other thing that is true about this is as I remember those things about God, because when I'm telling myself all the things about how I've messed up, all the things about how I've fallen short, all the things how I've disappointed you or me or whatever, not once do those things encourage me, not once do those things lift me up, not once do those things change my behavior. But when I consider God, when I remember that he has forgiven all of my sin, that he's healed all my diseases, that he plucked my life out of a pit, life changes for me. How I behave changes for me. Because I remember. And that's what David's doing here. In the second section, we see David turn this praise that continues to expand, and now he's going to praise God for all that God has done for the nation of Israel, or at least some of what God's done for the nation of Israel. And it says, starting in verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed, a universally true statement. At all times, through all history, for all people, God is at work um, for righteousness for all of the oppressed. Whether I see it or not, he is still at work. But David's speaking about a particularly specific oppressed people. He goes on to say in verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. So, lest we think that Israel somehow did the right thing and obeyed and all the rest of that and somehow earned God's love, let's remember who Israel is. We just talked about that, as a matter of fact, last week. Justin was talking about how Israel was enslaved in Egypt, and God rose up Pharaoh, or excuse me, uh, Moses, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses did that, and Pharaoh was hard of heart and said no. Ten plagues later, Moses finally had enough, and he let the people go, and so the people left Egypt. Now, at some point in time, Pharaoh changed his mind and thought, nah, I don't think that's a good idea. So the Pharaoh and his army chase after the nation of Israel, and Israel is headed towards the promised land, and they find themselves with their back up against the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army coming after them. And Justin shared with us what it says in Exodus 14, you remember? And there would be so much snark. I would have said this too. Okay, so like I don't, I, I am not judging them. I would have been right with them. And the snark in my voice would have been amazing. As I said, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you bring me out to the wilderness to let me die? And what did God do? Did he, <laughs> did he punish them for not saying, Lord, we need help. No, he didn't. He parts the Red Sea, and they walk through on dry land. Amazing miracle. And so when I study particular passages, oftentimes I'll get some weird question in my head that I can't let go of. My weird question for this passage was, so 
how long did it take to get from Egypt to the next major event, which is um, the golden calf? So how long did it take? And we have a little bit of a hint on that. It says, um, in Exodus 19, it says, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt. First day, third month, 12 weeks. From the time they left Egypt until they got to the, to the bottom of Mount Sinai. Something less than that between the time that God parted the Red Sea and four million people walk through that wall of water and got to the bottom of Mount Sinai. So what happens at Mount Sinai? Moses goes up the mountain. God tells him all the things that he has to command the nation of Israel. Moses comes back down, tells the nation the things, gathers the nation together, tells the nation the things that God has for them. And what do they say? We will do it. And so Moses goes back up the mountain to tell God that the nation has agreed with the commands. <clears throat> and Moses is up there for a while. And yeah, granted, there's lightning and there's uh, uh, fog. And like, it's, it's a little noisy, maybe a little scary. Um, and the people start getting nervous. And so what do they do? <laughs> they go to Aaron and say, hey, would you make for us gods that can go before us? And so they start pitching their... Um, their jewelry into the fire to make this golden calf. And it's what, a couple weeks? Since they watched the faithfulness of God in a mighty miracle, and a couple weeks later, they are asking Aaron to make him a God that'll go before them. And I don't know about you, but I can see myself in that story. I don't think I wouldn't have been right with them. And, Aaron, and uh, David goes on. Now, if you read Exodus, you'll see that there are consequences. Like, I'm not trying to gloss over the fact that there are consequences for the choices that the people make. But David goes on to talk about this in a larger context of God's graciousness and goodness to the people of Israel. And he says, starting in verse 8, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our own iniquity. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God did not repay the nation of Israel for their idolatry and sin. He acted out of his own character. And David tells us that his character is kind and compassionate, loving and gracious. He, he doesn't stay angry forever. He doesn't repay us according to what we deserve. <clears throat> Instead, he gives us this incredible contrast. As far as high as the heavens are above the earth. Do you know how high the heavens are above the earth? Because I don't have any idea. I, I think it's infinite. And then he says, as far as the east is from the west, 
so far as he placed our transgression or our sin from us, I think that's an infinite line too. And the thing I found interesting about this um, is that his analogy for God's love is vertical and his analogy for our sin is horizontal. And, if, and I know, probably everyone in the room has thought about this except for me until I was doing this. But if you think about that, there is only one intersection point between a horizontal forever line and a vertical forever line. I'm going the wrong way. But you get my point. And that intersection point is the cross of Christ, where God paid the penalty for our sin when he sent his son. And now, my sin is never going to intersect with God's love again. It was finished once and for all. Everyone that I did before that moment in time, and everyone that I've committed since that moment in time. And David continues this theme of compassion by comparing God's love to parental love. So in verse 13, he picks up, or we pick up, and it says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we were formed. He remembers that we're dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They, grass. they flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over them, and they're gone. And its place remembers them no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenants and, and remember to obey his precepts. Here, God compare, or here David compares God to a dad who's tenderhearted towards his child. You know, dads know that their kids are just kids and they don't know everything. And so they're going to do things that are foolish, that dangerous even, right? A three-year-old does not necessarily know that if you put your hand on that red thing where, where mom's cooking, that it's going to burn them. Like, they just don't know. They're not stupid. They just don't know. They're three. They're kids. And just like a father has compassion on his child, God has compassion on us. He knows how, as a matter of fact, he has more compassion and more understanding because he actually formed us, right? It says that God wove us together in our mother's womb. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my strengths. He knows the places I'm tempted. And they're different than yours. So the places that Justin or Franklin or Kari are strong may not be the same. For me, and the places that Caroline or Suzanne or someone else might be weak are not my weak spots. And the places we're tempted are different, but he knows each one of us because he formed each one of us. And he is there and able and capable to show us love and, and kindness and compassion for our own personal issues. And I love him for that. So many other things do. But the scripture says that, we're, um, that he knows that we, we're made from dust. And I got to thinking, like, is that all I really am, that I'm just really dust? And what does that really mean? Like, I, I wipe the dust off my furniture, right? And it falls to the floor, and I vacuum it up, maybe. 
Um, but then David gives us this wild, crazy analogy. And um, he says, or excuse me, before I, before I share that part, David goes on to an equally sobering account of mankind's impact, of my impact on life. David says, um, if I can find it. Oh, I already read it. David says that uh, a mortal life is like the grass. The flower springs up, it blossoms. It might even be a beautiful, stunning blossom, but the wind blows and it's gone. And so David says, compares our life as mortals in this, in this life with how God sees us when he says, from everlasting to everlasting, from before the beginning of the beginning to after the end of the end, like God's love is with us. Before the planet ever existed, he knew us and he set his love on us. And long after the planet's gone, he still knows us and he still loves us. There's this incredible contrast. When I think about my life on earth, I have um, siblings. I have five siblings, three of which are still with us. Two of them have passed on. Um, my mom and dad are both gone. And um, when I was when I was growing up as a child, I just had grandmothers. My grandfathers were already um, gone. And I have memories with my family and with friends and stuff like that. Um, but I have no memories with my grandfathers. Like, I've heard stories about them, but I have no memories with them. Like, we didn't do anything together. We didn't, I don't even know what they looked like. I don't know that I ever saw pictures of them, actually. I don't know them. I don't remember them. And beyond my grandparents, I couldn't even tell you somebody's name. A hundred years. And we're remembered no more. The place, like I go back to the house I grew up in, and nobody knows that I lived there. Like I spent the first 18 years of my life in that house. Nobody knows that. The place remembers me no more. But God, my favorite word in the Bible is but because it connects things that are mind-boggling. God's love for me is everlasting. We're not a momentary vapor to God. We are precious children in his sight. So we talked about David, and we talked about Israel, and we talked about the fact that they never did anything to earn God's love. As a matter of fact, if you look at the things they did, God would have been completely right and justified to abandon them. And I think, as I said earlier, the thing that's most interesting to me about how God deals with exposing his people in his word is to expose all of his people in his word. So he doesn't, he doesn't just give a picture of David of a great king who loved God and, uh, and was sorrowful when he did something wrong, right? He, he gave us the whole picture of David. And I can identify with that. Like, I love God, and yet I still do things wrong. The Bible calls that sin. We don't like that word for some reason, but it's just a word. I do things wrong. I hurt people. I have taken things that don't belong to me. I've cheated. I've lied. I bet you have too. But God has set his love on mankind. 
and he desires a relationship with us. And there's nothing that we do that has deserved or called us to be able to gain that relationship with him. Um, The evidence that God loves us, I think, couldn't be more clearly stated in what he did with Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. A right, just, holy God had the right to walk away from every one of us. But the right and just holy God instead provided the payment, the full payment for our sin when he sent Jesus to that cross, when my transgression and God's love intersected earth. Instead of being held accountable, we were now held as righteous. That's the trade. Jesus' life and I get righteousness. I get counted lawful before God. David and the nation of Israel were all part of a covenant that God made with Abraham way back in Genesis 12 uh, when he called Abraham and told Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And David recounts in this psalm some of the ways that God faithfully blessed his people through the ages. And through Jesus, we're given an opportunity to be grafted into that family, to be adopted as children of God. And so today, there might be somebody in this room who's never made that choice. But this morning, um, you feel that tug that God's calling you to take this opportunity. to trust him for the payment, the full payment of your sin, to to receive the love, the full, total love that he has for you by receiving Jesus. It's really, it's not complicated. Like, it's not, like, I think there should be this big, like, test and thing you ought to do, but it's not like that, because that's not how God is. That's how I am. That's not how God is. And so if you feel like God's calling you today to make that choice, then I just want to take a minute, and I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, and you can say something like this. You can say whatever you want, whatever you need, but you can say something really as simple as this. Lord, I know I've done things um, that are wrong. I've really tried, um, but I've made a mess. And sometimes I just didn't care, and I didn't care how what I did affected other people, and I'm sorry. And I believe that you sent Jesus to take the penalty for those things, and I accept the gift that Jesus gives. Would you take my life and make something valuable out of it? Would you give me your strength and your peace? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.